Gospel Message, Week 42. Do your all. We're coming upon a time, or we have come upon a time in the history of this country, in the history of this world, where the elections have taken on a completely different complexion, where it has always been a time of, you know, excitement and maybe even some anxiety. This particular election, because of the time, because of the people involved, because of the what's going on in society, the the tensions, the social tensions, the political tensions, the racial tensions, everything that's going on, the pandemic, the the devastation that the pandemic has had on the world and the confusion and everything. So the, these elections are, are pretty, they're a pretty big deal compared to the elections in the past. And it really just has to do with the time, with the times and what is going on in these times and what is really at stake. And when I say what is at stake, based on the things that are happening biblically, we can say we've really come into the end times in a way that is more visible than it has been in the past. There's a lot that's going on now that one can even say is very prophetic of the things that we were told would be happening as we get closer and closer to the end time. So there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. People are nervous. People are uncertain. Uh, because of the social tensions and everything, people are angry. People are volatile. You know, there's uprising in so many different countries over so many different social issues that have been swept under the rug for years. So a lot of people are upset and they're voicing their anger, they're voicing their concern. And as a result, times have become very volatile, very perilous and very uncertain. So what does the Christian do in times like this? Of course, we're, we're even in a time of the pandemic, you know, we can't gather in church the way we used to gather, which is crazily ironic because once upon a time, I'm sure there would have been vigil upon vigil upon vigil at this time, but it so happens that we can't do that, at least the way we've done it in the past because of COVID restrictions where we really can't gather in churches, especially for those of us in America and Europe anyway. I know it's a little different in Africa, but we can't gather the way we used to gather. So Prayer is still key for we Christians, but even though we're praying with our mouths, what are we feeling in our hearts? What is our state? Are we afraid? Are we uncertain? You know, and, and, and it would be probably false to say that we're not, that we don't have some level of anxiety or concern, even if it's not outright fear. But depending on who it is, some people are genuinely afraid at this time. So what do we do as Christians? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? The first thing I just wanted to point out is that a lot of our prayers are focused now on the avoidance of certain things. You know, Hopefully there's no war on the horizon. Hopefully there's no 
chaos to the point that even daily activities become hindered. You know, where before it happened because of the shutdown due to the pandemic, it could come to a point where tensions are so high on the streets that it becomes unsafe for people to go to work or unsafe for people to go to the store. We never know because the times are crazy. You know, so we're praying for the avoidance of a lot of these things. And we're praying to God that he keeps these things from happening. And it is, it's, and we're praying based on a genuine concern. But the reality is that even as with, as in times past, sometimes it is not what we desire that is particularly in God's will. When it comes to, you know, unrest and wars and just things that are high tension. Sometimes the Lord does allow these things to happen. And based on biblical history, we have to also recognize that when these things become heightened, that the Lord allows to become heightened, we have to recognize that had it not been for God allowing those things to happen, we would have never seen his hand moving in those times. For example, let's talk about the Israelites. When they, when Moses came to lead them out of Egypt, and of course he had to perform the miracles that God empowered him to perform for them to even trust him to lead them out. And then of course, we all also know the nature of the, of the Exodus that Pharaoh and his chariots were chasing them and they were petrified and they were afraid. And, and then we, we also know about the miracle at the Red Sea. But the point I'm making is that had the Israelites stayed in Egypt, the miracle that happened at the Red Sea could never have happened. They had to actually move. They actually had to leave Egypt. They actually had to be pursued by Pharaoh and his chariots in order for them to get to the Red Sea, in order for God to part the Red Sea through Moses, in order for the chariots of Pharaoh to be swallowed up by the Red Sea. Had they not moved, and had not been at the Red Sea, that miracle could not have happened. They needed to move. They needed to be pursued. They needed for the circumstances to be exactly as they were in order for the mighty hand of God to be revealed the way that it was revealed. So sometimes God allows these things to happen to show his hand in whatever way he has purposed to show his hand for our benefit, we who believe in him. So this is a time for us to pray our prayers, praying that or hoping that what we are asking for is in line with God's will. But if it is not in line with God's will, we still have to make sure that we continue to trust in the Lord, that we continue to believe that his divine will is perfect. And he has also made provision for us that whatever he allows to happen, according to his divine purpose, we have to trust and believe that he has made some sort of provision for us, 
for our deliverance, for our protection, however shape it ultimately takes, we will only know when that time comes, but we just have to continue to trust in God. Which brings me to a very familiar passage, and this is in Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10. This is when we're talking about the armor of God. So why I believe that passage is so relevant at a time like this, in these uncertain and perilous times, look at how it reads. It says from verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may, be, you, ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And that's the verse I'm bringing us to. Having done all to stand. What is this all that God is referring to here? What is the all? And think about it. When you talk about armor, preparing for battle, you're thinking of, okay, once I have donned this armor, I am going to fight. I am going to do battle. I'm going out there and I'm going to be wielding my sword or my spear or whatever battle weapon I've been given. But look at what God is saying here. He said, having done all, put on Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This armor, and look at what he says in the further, in the further verses about the armor. He said, stand therefore, having girt your loins with truth. So you put on the loin of truth. That's one of the things we're putting on before we stand. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on our shoes, have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and having taken on the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then we have also put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this armor that we are supposed to be putting on, because all these things that are happening around us, the Bible is telling us we are not battling flesh and blood. These things might be manifesting in the flesh, but we know that the powers at work here are not flesh and blood. This same battle between God and the enemy, between good and evil, is still at work in the background. So while these things are going on and we are seeing what we are seeing with our eyes, as opposed to sitting there and being afraid, as opposed to sitting there and wondering, oh my God, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is this not going to happen? Is that not going to happen? God is telling us this is the time for us to start to don our armor, to put on our loin of, of truth, start to seek 
the truth of God, the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit himself, is already poised, waiting to enter us, to reveal the truth of God to us. How hungry are we for this truth? How desperate are we, not for the truth of man, not for the truth of biblical interpretation that could vary from one person to another, from one time to another, but what are we seeking from the Holy Spirit himself with regards to this truth? How desperate are we? How hungry are we for the truth of God? And having the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that our righteousness is in Christ and Christ alone. Because our own righteousness, our own earthly, physical, carnal righteousness is like filthy rags before God. But Christ himself is our righteousness. So how desperate again are we for this Christ? Have we turned, have the things that are happening around us now caused us to say, listen, I need to get connected to my savior. I need to seek this Lord in a way that I have never sought him before. Are we to that point? Having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which at the end of the day, for anything that any human being can preach, if that preaching is not directing us towards the good news, towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, it can be ascribed unto some sort of vanity or another. Because at the end of the day, it is Jesus who saves. So every the sermon, every preaching should have at its core, should have at its very belly, at its heart, Christ, the one who saves, directing everyone to the door. He is the door. Christ is the door. And as he lets us in, he said, by me, anyone who enters shall be saved. So everything that we are preaching should be directing people towards this Christ so that he now saves us by his own spirit and then taking on the shield of faith which at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day he who comes to God must believe that he is without faith it is impossible to please God so we actually start on this foundation of faith because he says add to your faith goodness and to your goodness self-control and to your self-control knowledge but it starts with the foundation of faith so he said we're taking this shield of faith because it is this faith this shield of faith that we are now able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked our shield of faith it starts with faith everything comes against our faith and that faith again is rooted in christ jesus and on our heads we have the cell the helmet of salvation there is no salvation without jesus christ so when we are donning our helmet of salvation we know again christ is already at the core of that and then the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so this is the armor. So Christ is telling us that once we put on this armor, having done all, we now stand and let him do his work. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and when they were en route to the promised land with the, with the Egyptians in hot pursuit, he said, stand still. The Lord will fight for you 
and ye shall hold your peace. This is the exact same message. After you have done your part in turning to this Christ, in answering his call, because unless he calls us, we cannot be called. But when we have answered this call and donned our armor, he said, now we stand and let him do his part. So the question is, have you done your all? Because he says, having done all, stand. Before you stand, before I stand, have we done our all? Have we put on our spiritual armor? Have we done everything according to this prescription here, this description here of what the spiritual armor actually entails? Because until we do this, there will be room for fear. There will be room for doubt. There will be room for listening to the voice of man over to the voice of God. There will be room for being swayed into this movement or that movement over Christ's movement. There will now become opportunities for us to get our direction from the things that are going on around us as opposed to getting our direction from Christ himself. Have you done your all? Because that all is not going out there bullheaded, doing what we think is right but it's doing what God is instructing us in this passage to do, to put on our spiritual armor. Because once we have done that, take onto you the whole armor of God that ye may be to able to withstand in the day of evil. This is the day of evil. We are in these latter days. We are in those times where there is evil and wickedness all around us, presenting itself in so many ways, in so many shapes, under so many disguises, darkness masquerading as light, left, right, and center. This is the evil day. But unless we take on that whole armor of God, we cannot stand. And that is the all that God is asking us to do. So brethren, this is not a time to be afraid. This is a time to be faithful. This is not a time to be uncertain. This is a time to trust in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not my might, not my wisdom, not my understanding, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because at the end of the day, it is his might that fights for us, and it is his might that delivers us. So let us, at this time, now that we're hearing the word, now that we're seeing the signs, let us make every effort to put on our spiritual armor so that the Lord can fight for us while we stand. And may we continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.